everybody. Consistently, we've heard the words prepare, prepare, prepare. If you've been coming to this church for a while, you've heard those words prepare, 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 right? Um, ultimately, our preparation is for the return of Christ. But between now and whenever that happens, we prepare for the enlargement of the kingdom of God and for our role and service in the church. We're preparing. Now, understanding is the key to preparation. You need to understand what you're preparing for in order to be motivated to prepare. And explanation helps us in our understanding, in our preparation. Look at this slide. Everybody say, ah. This is our dear brother Velko. And our dear sister Bliss. And they are engaged. Now, he has no idea what he's just done. <laughs> but he was going to get understanding. And his partner-to-be will start to explain so that he gets understanding. So the Bible says, husbands, live in an understanding way with your wife. There are things that are a mystery about a woman. All the men said, Amen. But understanding helps us to gain some insight to this mysterious thing called the female. And so the purpose of the Bible is to bring understanding to us, explanation which will lead us to understanding so that we can know and understand the purposes of God for the future and now how we prepare for that future and partner with God in bringing that future to our lives, to the church life, and to the world. I could stop there. That's it in a nutshell. Now, everybody loves a good romance, right? Because we all have a God-given longing to love and to be loved without shame. We all love a love story. We want the man to get his girl. And we watch it over and over and over again in different scenarios, even including Shrek. It's basically a love story. And she sits there and she cries about that same old familiar story which touches the heart. Listen, your heart is not a part of you. Your heart is the center of you. So when we touch someone's heart, we're touching the very center of their being. And he sits there while she's crying. He doesn't cry. He just goes in his great fat belly and eating popcorn. Yeah, that's me, man. That, that one there, that hero, that's me. We love a love story. And this, the Bible really is the story of a divine romance. It ends in a marriage. 
Yes, there's a war in between. There's a warring bride. But the end is the bride has made herself ready. Come, Lord Jesus. And bliss will start to make herself ready. She's not going to wander down in September, down that aisle in a pair of raggedy old jeans. And there are other forms of preparation that they will make. An explanation in the word of God brings understanding of the purpose of God so that we can cooperate with it and do it in his power. Now, <clears throat> I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. And we'll read a few verses out of Romans chapter 7 so that I will explain it to you. And then we will gain what? Yes, and the purpose of understanding is so that we can do it and cooperate with the will of God. Here it goes. Do you not know, brothers, he's writing to this Jewish community in Rome, but it includes us because we're grafted in, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Now, the moral law of God is basically the Ten Commandments, and everybody knows the moral laws, the Ten Commandments. That legal claims have power over a person only so long as he is alive. Hmm. So that if you were married, if you were married to a very wealthy woman uh, and she died, the death would release about the law and about grace by giving an illustration. And the illustration happens to be about marriage because Paul is a romantic. And it's a very helpful illustration. And here it is. For example, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law, binding her to the husband in marriage. And accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. With certain Jesus-given uh, preclusions for divorce. So I'm going to ask... Um, Velko and Briss, to help me with this illustration so that I can illustrate the illustration. Could you come for a moment? Now, my name is Mr. Law. And here is my wife, Mrs. Law. Velko, if you could just sit quietly over there, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, would you bind that? Because we are, as husband and wife, bound by the law. She's bound to me. Now, Mr. Law is a perfectionist. He's not only good, but he's perfect. The law is perfect. It has very high standards. And now, my dear, you came into this marriage covenant agreeing with me the terms of a contract that you will be perfect because you're married to perfection. <laughs> and therefore, everything that you do for me will be absolutely 100% perfect. Otherwise, I shall not be satisfied. And we would be unfruitful. Would you put up the second part of that scripture, please? Oh, no, no, no. That's all right. No, no, just to emphasize, in order that we may bear fruit to God. The whole thing about this message, this sermon this morning, is about fruitfulness. Notice here it says, 
Uh, oh, there we are. Okay. If the husband dies, she's freed from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress because the husband has died. Likewise, my brothers, you also have been made dead to the law through the crucified body of Christ so that now you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead, look at this, this is the whole point of this illustration, in order that we may bear fruit for God. God's design and purpose is that you and I would bear fruit for him. And actually God is more given to the idea and the longing for fruitfulness in your life than we are ourselves. Now we're bound together. And I'm Mr. Perfect, and my standards of my moral law are perfection. And she's come into this marriage with the contract of agreeing that she's going to be perfect. And I come home from work, and I go round the house, and I go, dust? She feels terrible because she's been working all day to fulfill Mr. Law. These... Um, these potatoes taste a little underdone, dear. The trouble is, she knows I'm right. It's just she cannot keep the law. Now, the law, do not murder, is a good law. If somebody came and murdered you, your relatives would be unhappy, most of them. And it would not be good for society, and yet you cannot legislate the human heart. Today, this weekend, if it's any normal weekend, there will be 52 murders in the city of Chicago. Why? Because murder is a bad law? No, murder is a good law. It's just that we can't keep it. And so no matter how hard she tries and cries and works harder at it, she cannot satisfy Mr. Law. Now here's the good news. One day, Mr. Grace passes by the window. <laughs> and Mr. Grace waves at Mrs. Law. She does not smile, but she hides her face in embarrassment, for she dare not look upon another. And the next day, he passes by the window again, which she has conveniently left open. And he says to her, you look beautiful. And she cannot help but think, why does Mr. Law never say that to me? He passes by the window another day and looks in and actually comes inside the house. Oh, my dear. And he says, how beautifully you keep this house. And Mrs. Law cannot help but think and compare Mr. Law with Mr. Grace. Indeed. The strictness and the legalism of Mr. Law is pressing her towards Mr. Grace. But she considers, how can I break this bond? 
How can I break? I'm tied to my husband. I know what I'll do. I'll murder him. <laughs> then he will be dead and I will be free to marry Mr. Grace. But then, oh, my dear, I'm trapped by the law again, which says you shall not murder. <laughs> now, every illustration, even the Apostle Paul's, loses some of its impact. But to help you understand, and I just say this, that she dies. The good news is, there's a man called Jesus Christ who died also but was raised from the dead by the power of the resurrection and he comes and raises Mrs. Law from the dead so that now dead in Christ, she's raised alive in Christ and she's now dead to Mr. Law and she's free, free from the law and now she's married. To Mr. Grace. And listen, that's you and me if you're in Christ. You are free from the law. The law, don't go, please. We have one more little illustration. See, basically, law is legalism. The practice of the law is legalism. But the law is good. It's just that you can't keep it until you come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit now lives in you, and one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So now Christ lives in me, and he has fulfilled the law. He is perfect. He didn't sin and doesn't sin. And now he has now written the law in himself. It's not a, 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 a tablet of stone in my heart. It's a person who now lives in me. And if I follow him, and if I keep the conversation with him, and if I keep my attachment to him, it's called walking with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, and therefore I cannot sin if I continue to walk in the Spirit. Sila. Now, there's a knock at the door. One day, as they sit happily having breakfast, and who should it be but Mr. Law? Galatians says this, who has bewitched you and drawn you back under the law? And she comes to the door and she says, I died to you and therefore you died to me. I am no longer under the law. Thank you so much. Give him a clap, would you? Thank you. We excitedly look forward to your wedding in September. You see, what we do is we come back under the law sometimes, and it's lying legalism. I sin. I, I kick the dog. I, I do something which is against the laws of God. 
And what do I do? I say, oh, sorry, Lord. I'll read Leviticus on my knees every day this week. I'm trying to pay for sin. I get condemned, and so I get guilty, and I feel this shame. I said, oh, no, I did it again. Who will deliver me? I know. I'll give an extra bigger gift. I'll give a bigger offering next Sunday morning, and that'll pay for it, and it'll punish me and cause me to learn a lesson. I've come back under law. You see, if you could pay for sin, by doing something other than repentance, then what was the purpose of the cross? Now, the tragedy of legalism is it cannot produce life. There are no babies in that marriage. Because the law produces death until you die and come into Jesus and his grace. The Lord is good for the unbeliever. But we now have got a new law. It's the law of grace. And the amazing thing is, just look at this next slide, that now Jesus in us, it is God who works in you to will and to act in in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, keeping God's ways is now... The Holy Spirit has put that desire in you. You never had that desire. But now if you sin or when you sin, you don't like that. But before you were saved, you enjoyed it. But now God has done a work in you which says, I don't like that anymore. And not only that, but he's also given you the power to not sin. Isn't God good? I mean, this is a revolution. Imagine a city of people like this. So, the whole point is fruitfulness. The whole point of now being married to grace is that there will be fruit in our lives. Look at this next scripture. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works. Just to underline the point. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. It's a gift. And look at the next one. In the same way, faith by itself, not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, I have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. What he's saying is this. If you're attached to the trunk, the branch will bear fruit by simply staying attached. So God has saved us, not by doing good works, but for good works after we're saved to bear fruit, to have babies. So freeing, so liberating, isn't it? So now... Some people could take that scripture and say, well, (laughs) my faith, I must have deeds. I need to try and, and be more energetic to do good deeds. Yes, in one way, but no, not in another. You can't produce the fruit of God by yourself. The fruit of God comes from God. The branch stays attached to the, the trunk and the sap goes down the branch and produces the fruit. 
I've never seen an apple tree straining to produce an apple. Oh, must try harder. Oh, God, help me. No, no, no. Stay attached. By that, abiding in Christ simply means talking to God. Keep the conversation going. So, here's a, a lovely scripture in Ephesians 2.9, which comes after Ephesians 2.8. <laughs> For we are his workmanship. Literally, the word is poema. So before eternity, God took out his pen and he wrote a poem. You. You're his poem. Composed before the mountains were put in place. You are my workmanship. That's why it's not good to keep criticizing yourself. Because in criticizing yourself, you're criticizing God. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for fruitfulness, which God prepared them. He's prepared them that we should walk in them. So what are these good works? What do they what do they look like? What are these good works? You see, Jesus didn't die for us so that we would come to a meeting on a Sunday, although there's nothing coming wrong with coming to a meeting on a Sunday. But the purpose of salvation is not so that you would come on a Sunday, hear a sermon, feel good, go home, and live in comfort for the rest of the week. He didn't die for that. Pat said it the other day. I was just I wrote it down. That's why you're getting it. Jesus didn't die for us so that we could get a passport to heaven and then live a, a self-filled life for the rest of the next 70 years. You see, uh, he, he, Jesus didn't die so that we could just continue in the pursuit of comfort. Now, I like comforts, but I don't want to become addicted to comforts. I like comforts, but... I don't want to pursue comfort as an alternative to pursuing God. Otherwise, you see, that, that's what the world, the unbelievers do. They're constantly pursuing comfort by, by various means of finances and so on. I just want a comfortable life. Leave me alone so I can have some peace. But there is no peace for the wicked, the Bible says. Reconciliation with God is peace. And so if we're constantly pursuing a comfortable existence where we just satisfy ourselves, we're no different from the world. Might as well commit suicide and go straight to heaven. No. So what are these good works? Some years ago, about three years ago, I was numbering my days, which is not so difficult for me because I'm 80 this year. But I'm numbering my days. What does that mean? It means I'm laying out a plan. I'm saying, Lord, what, what now? How can I best use these years that remain to me? Do you, do you ever do that exercise? <laughs> I was talking to a man on a motorbike, witnessing to him one time. And he said, I don't believe in all that rubbish. I said, you could die tomorrow. He said, I don't believe all that rubbish. Got on his motorbike, revved it up, did a wheelie, went right down under a bridge, smacked into a car coming on the other way, and died. Number your days. We want to bear fruit. God is 
really anxious and dis- anxious is the wrong word to use with the Almighty, but he's very concerned for you to bear fruit because he knows what it does for you. It's not about bearing fruit for him alone. It's that this is a divine uh, relationship which is satisfying and happy and rewarding in this life and in the life to come. So I'm praying. I'm just sitting before the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, what about, what about these next years? And I felt the spirit whisper inside me. Keep loving your bride and mine. Keep loving your bride. Here she is. Not a, not a difference from the day 55 years ago. Really? Just sweeter? Just more sanctified? It is very painful living with a woman who's so sanctified when you're not. She's goodness like the the center of the cherry without the pip. And you are my other bride. Take care of my bride, take care of your bride, take care of my bride for the rest of your days. See, yes, there is sacrifice. (laughs) Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is suffering in the Christian life. Yes, we are called to die. Yes, to lay down my life, to crucify selfishness. You know, I remember when we were dating, I had this old car, which was what we called a banger. Because every time you started it, it banged. It was a movie like that, wasn't there, about that? What's the big fat guy that was taking his niece to school? And every time he started the car, it banged, it backfired. That was my car. 1938 Series E, Morris. I had to park it downhill, otherwise I couldn't start it. (laughs) And it was a long journey up to London from where I was in the army. And I would drive this 45 minutes to see her for 20. Now, I didn't get in the car and think, oh, man, what a sacrifice this is. Every mile that's gone by, I'm getting more and more excited because I'm going to see the one I love. You see, love motivates and cancels sacrifice. In one sense, there is no sacrifice if there's enough love. If you're finding it sacrificial, then ask God for more love. Jesus sacrificed his life on a cross for the joy that was set before him. We can do this. You see, if there's, if there's more pain than pleasure, then look into the future for the future pleasure. I did a strange thing last night. I wrote my own funeral. Because actually, numbering my days, I will pass. So I thought, what will that look like? And so I went through each of my children and grandchildren and I wrote out my final exhortation to them. 
and my final appreciation of them. And I cried all the way through. But I also put a line in. Cry for me, but know this. I'm with Christ preparing a place for you. So there is some sacrifice. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is pain. But ask God for the pleasure in anticipation of the pleasure of this future. It feels more like duty than meditate on the delight. For Jesus said this, I delight to do my Father's will. It's a delight. It's a paradox. It's a conflict. It's two wings of one bird. So, you see, choices about where and when and what to invest your life into are important. But commitment and perseverance to those choices is even more important. There are many areas where you can commit to produce fruit. What are these good deeds that God has prepared? What are these fruitfulness? I'm going to suggest to you basically two. Good works, good fruit that God wants for you to excel in. Not 30, not 60. How many of you would like to be 100% soil here? I, I do. I don't want to waste myself with a pittance. I, I want to bring forth much fruit and abiding fruit. Yes, I do. So, here are the two things. First of all, internal fruit. I'm going to suggest that when we think about doing good works, we think about doing rather than being. But it seems to me that the good fruit, the good works that God has prepared for us to walk into, start with the internal relationship. And so I'm asking God, I want, I want to be more loving. I want to grow in grace. I want integrity to be fastened and deepened in my soul. I, I, I set my mind to meekness and humility. I want to be super generous when my heart wants to be picky and mean. I want to love more and more and more. Those are internal things. But the external is so correlated, so linked to the internal. Because what you are on the inside will come out on the outside. We can't put it on with some charismatic hypocrisy. We're back to Mr. Law again. See, some of you may be Catholics here, and you have these things called indulgences. So... <clears throat> The measure of sin was this deep, so I've got 20 Hail Marys to work it off. Well, the measure of sin was this deep, so I've got 44 Our Fathers to work it off. It's back to law again, as if you could pay for something that Jesus has already paid for. It's ridiculous. It's religion. It's legalism. And God has set us free from that. But it can be charismatic legalism and indulgences if you're not careful which we are careful.
And so the internal sanctifying, the internal thoughts of our mind. Do you know you can please God with your thoughts? I remember wanting to get some flowers for my wife. And it came from an idea in my mind. And do you know what? As I thought about getting these flowers and putting them in every room of the house, it gave me pleasure. I thought, this is fun. Do you know that you can live giving pleasure to God with your mind all day long? That you could move the emotions of the uncreated God by pleasurable thinking? Some people, they're always weeding their garden, the garden of their mind. That's good. Just plant some nice flowers. So being married to Christ is living in a partnership with him as a lover. God is a lover looking for lovers. And so the first law of Mr. Grace is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That begins with an internal relationship. Seeking him for integrity, for Christ-likeness, for godliness, for humility. Allowing him to discipline my life. For those whom he disciplines, he loves. He loves those he disciplines. Discipline is about refocusing you against compromise. Pruning you is getting you ready for more fruit. How many want pruning? <laughs> I think internally then, that's the fruit that God is committed to producing in us by our obedience to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. See, the Word of God is good in that it gives information to us about God and His ways, but that's not the primary purpose. The understanding is to lead us into a relationship with God so that we read the, the Word of God to develop our relationship. But you've got to discipline yourself to read the Word of God. Otherwise, you know, the Bible will stay closed and, and gather dust. And so here's this contradiction of, of total liberty and freedom with discipline. You don't like the word discipline. See, some believers is that they ax out parts of the Bible and say, I don't believe in that. It can't be in the Bible. What do you mean God is a judge? Ooh, no, I don't like I ax that out of the Bible. The external part of our life is doing good works for and to others. I think that we tend to feel like, because we're married to a lover who loves us, but we're also married to a king, which denotes power. The king has power. Jesus is, yes, the lover, yes, the bridegroom, but he's also the king. And the king has power. And I don't know about you, but I want to tap into that power to raise the dead, cleanse the leper, not that I've found many lepers on the earth yet, but you know what I mean. I want to cleanse the cancer. I want to see power works of the Holy Spirit being empowering so that God be glorified and the person released from their suffering. But how many of you have raised the dead? Not many of us yet. Yet. 
And so a lot of good works, we underestimate the value that God puts upon small little things. But Jesus said this faithful in little is faithful in much. In your faithfulness in little things that you think don't count, that nobody sees, that don't matter, that don't have an impact. But in your faithful in those things, if you're in faith that they do matter, you are actually preparing yourself for much. Faithfulness in little. Faithfulness in the serving of our children. Faithfulness in life groups. Faithfulness in greeters. Faithfulness in the evangelism team. Faithfulness in coming to prayer. Faithfulness in little. Oh, it doesn't really matter much. Anyway, I've got a big ball game on. I'll bring the cross. Yes, there's pain, but what about the joy? Do you see this complex challenge we face? Fighting to go down so that we may go up. Fighting to give first so that we may receive. And so I think there's a tendency to devalue the small things in life, the little faithfulnesses, until the big things come, until the king releases his power. Is it possible that the cradle of character will strengthen as we're faithful in little so that God can responsibly release his power into the cradle of a character that's strong. Because if not, if the character's weak, as we've seen across the Christian field so often and so many times with so many individuals with such disappointment, if the cradle breaks, then it can't contain the power. And God says, well, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to restrict the amount of power I give you until I get the cradle of character that can contain it. But I promise you, I do believe that as we get nearer to the return of Christ, there is going to be a billion people in the, in the earth saved. I mean, there's going to be signs and wonders that would make the early days of Israel uh, impoverished in comparison. But I don't believe it's going to be big, uh, necessarily big, great, big tele-evangelists. It's going to be ordinary people like you and me, nameless, faceless people. Who was that person that healed you uh, from your sickness, from your hearing that you were born with? I, I don't know. I don't know where he went. A nameless, faceless generation of lovers of God whom God can invest power into with signs and wonders and miracles and healings and, and, and a coming of a great harvest before the return of the king. It is a harvest field into which tares were sown. It's not a tares field. And whilst darkness grows darker, lightness goes brighter by the power of God. Listen, just hang in there. It's coming. It's like that old song. You remember that old song? It's coming. It's coming. The ark is coming down the road. You know? Oh, you don't know. I was praying so much she would start that beautiful singing voice. <laughs> I don't know whether it'll be my children or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren. It's like Churchill said, we're not at the end. But we're not at the beginning. We're at the beginning of the end. We're at the beginning of the end. It's worth investing yourself fully into this. 
don't think that these little things don't matter. I love the story of a man who went, he was a contractor and he went to, um, he went to bid for a, a shopping mall. And he went for his interview and he felt it went very poorly. And he thought, you know what, I won't get that contract. He went down the steps and he was a bit discouraged. And uh, as he went to cross the road for his car, the other side, there was an old lady that was with a cane and she, she stepped out into the road and saw the traffic and stepped back again and then she tried a second time and then she was looking at the traffic. This He said, ma'am, let me help you. He took her arm. He guided her across the road. Well, the next day he gets a call from the person who was assigning this contract for this mall. He said, I'm glad to tell you that you've, uh, you've got the contract. He said, really? He said, I'm so surprised. He said, why me? He said, well, you know, I was looking out of the window when you left yesterday. And you guided that lady, that old woman across the road. She was my mother. You see, God is taking note of every little kindness, every movement of your heart. He is a faithful God, faithful to record faithfulness. And it's storing up for us a great reward in heaven and somewhat here. So we are married to grace. We are loved by a lover who's looking for lovers who is also a king, who can invest and release great power so that his name would be glorified in all the nations. And lastly, you'll find in the Bible he's also a judge. The purpose of God's judgment is to remove anything that hinders a greater flow of his love and power. In other words, his judgment is the manifestation of his love. Let me read to you in closing what the psalmist wrote here. In Psalm 98. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp and the sound of singing. Amen? Yeah. Trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Why? Because he's coming to judge the earth. My goodness. Why? We'll ask people in Ukraine and Russia how the Lord will come, it says, with judging the world with righteousness and his people with equity. And lest we should forget, it begins in the house of the Lord. So that judgment is something that the scriptures and the people of God are to rejoice in because finally righteousness and justice and sanctification and beauty and loveliness and brightness of light has come. Don't resist the disciplines of God. Welcome them in their pain and look forward to the joy that's coming. He is coming. That is the end of this age. And we're at the beginning, I suggest to us, of the end.
bridegroom, king, and judge. Would you stand? I'm going to pray, asking the Holy Spirit to prompt in your heart internal and external fruitfulness. I just love... um, I just love the way that Pat leads us in prayer and I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask her to pray and then if you would like someone to stand with you there's some area in your life you want to be set free from you recognize oh my goodness I've been tied to Mr. Law and I didn't even realize it and you want someone to just agree with you into the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free you can come if there's some persistent carnal thing that keeps robbing you of your joy and sending you back into trying to do works to pay for it will you come sometimes prayer from another person will be very effective for you or maybe it's just simply you need someone to agree with you for healing in your body you know what I'm disposed to being a wide-eyed fire-filled radical for Christ as long as I'm alive I want to belong to a church of wide-eyed radical fire-filled people who are committed to building and planting the work of God in the house of God that's where I've put my heart that's where I've set my sail that's where we're going right love love my bride and yours for the rest of my days. Holy Spirit, we thank you, the Spirit of Christ within us. Bring revelation to me right now, I pray, of where I can bear fruit more effectively on the inside, what things to repent of, what things to tackle, What things to work on on the inside, oh God, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you that you create the desire within me. And you give me the power too. So Lord, here I am, weak, broken, immature. I invite you, Holy Spirit, work in me. And Lord, the external things, home, family, job. Church, wider issues of the kingdom, 